1: the worship that we got to do corporately this morning. God, I just honor our worship team right now and just thank you for them. Thank you for how they diligently lead, us, diligently lead us to your throne each and every Sunday. And so God, it's with that posture that we open your word now, God, that we would just be in awe of you, be in awe this Christmas season of how you came to earth, like Jonah said, led this perfect life, and became the perfect sacrifice. So God, teach us now, train us, encourage us, correct us, rebuke us, whatever you need to do to shape our hearts to become like Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, we have been going through our Advent series, and I'm going to do a little recap before we get into today's message. We've been looking at the kind of meta narrative of okay, let me start over. meta narrative <laughs> my my brain's jumbled. meta narrative of scripture. And we can't just jump right in to the Christmas story and fully understand what God did, what he's communicating by sending Jesus as a baby to live a human life that you and I could never live. So the first week Our series was entitled The Need. You have to start way in the beginning to see what is this need we have. Why did Jesus even have to come? If you've been reading our devotionals, which I hope you have, people sitting in our pews have been volunteering to write Advent devotionals. They've been coming in your email inbox throughout the week. There was a line in our first week that Anna Snodgrass wrote that has really just stuck with me. It says, We are a needy people... Well made, but weak towards sinfulness. And I think that's just a perfect way to describe our human condition. It's not that we are designed poorly. It's not that God made a mistake in designing us. But we were made to operate in Eden, in his presence fully, and we've chosen a different route. It's like using a vacuum cleaner to mow the lawn. It may look the same, it may look like it functions the same, but it wasn't designed that way. And that's that's the need in our heart, is that we're operating in a way that we weren't designed. I've just recently read C.S. Lewis's book, Surprised by Joy, and it details his childhood, which is a pretty sad childhood, and how he became a very devout atheist and a very devout intellect. The two kind of went hand in hand. And at 31 years old, he comes to faith. And for the first time, he sees his need before a holy God. And listen to what he says. This is so powerful. He says, For the first time, I examined myself with a seriously practical purpose. And there I found what appalled me, a zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, a harem of fondled hatreds. My name was Legion." And this, this is the stark reality that hopefully we all come to, that we see our need, and it leads us to a state of hopelessness, because that state of hopelessness actually becomes the doorway to hope, like Dave said last week, that there there is a hope when we come to the end of ourselves, when we realize that there's nothing we could ever do. No good work, no amount of money that we could donate, no amount of missionary work that we could do, nothing. None of that will solve the condition of the human heart. So then last week, we looked at the promise that, that there is a hope. The, depth, the depths of our needs leads to a hopelessness that becomes the doorway of hope, and our only hope becomes this promise of a Messiah. And then C.S. Lewis goes on to say, after he sees his need, this is how he describes God, the hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men, and his compulsion is our liberation. Isn't that beautiful? So we see the need. God promises to send someone to fix our need, and today our message is called the Announcement. We're going to be in the part of the story where God actually announces the fulfillment of this promise. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. I'd love for you to open your Bibles or your phone and turn there. The the author, Luke, he tells uh, the beginning of his narrative of Jesus. So the Gospels start the New Testament. There's four of them. There are four authors that give a biography of Jesus from their perspective. And so Luke is one of them, and he's writing about the life and times and the ministry of Jesus with two birth announcements. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the birth announcement of John the Baptist and the birth announcement of Jesus and why those are so important and what we can learn from God speaking to them. But it's important to know at this point in God's story— Um, God has attached himself to the nation of Israel. He has guided them and spoken to them. He's blessed them. He's also disciplined them. And he's spoken to them mostly through prophets. But at this point in the narrative, there has been no prophet that has spoken on God's behalf to the nation for about 400 years. And if you think about it, that's a really long time. That's longer than our country has been in existence. Th- so there, there has not been a messenger over God's people for 400 years. But the nation of Israel, they still exist as a religious group. They're still following Yahweh in his ways. They still have a temple to go and worship. They are no longer a political nation. They don't have an independent, sovereign political identity. They are under the rule of Rome but they are still a people worshiping Yahweh. And so for 400 years, they haven't heard a direct command or rebuke or an encouragement from God. And then Luke starts his gospel with God coming to speak to them through an angel to do two different people with birth announcements. So, so fascinating. And Luke, it's really interesting how he lays this out in the first and second chapter. He kind of yo-yos between these two stories. And I I would encourage you, we're just going to look at the the birth announcements today and the angel coming. But I'd encourage you this week to read these two chapters. And even if you have your Bible open now, you'll kind of see he goes between these two birth announcements. The birth announcement of John the Baptist and the birth announcement of Jesus. And I think that's intentional. He's trying to get us to see something. So read that this week. See what the Lord would show you as he yo-yos between those two stories. So let's start. We're going to start in Luke 1, verses 5 through 7. And here's what it says. It says, In the time of of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they both were well along in years. So Luke takes us to this couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah is a priest. Elizabeth is also serving Yahweh. It says they followed his commandments and regulations blamelessly. It's really important to know Anytime you see this in scripture when someone is described as as perfect or righteous or following things blamelessly, it does not mean that they are perfect people. The Bible is all about just ordinary people serving an extraordinary God. The only person in the Bible that was perfect as a human was Jesus. Everyone else was just like you and I. But what that is trying to communicate is Zechariah and Elizabeth, their allegiance, their heart, their decisions, they were turned towards Yahweh. So the consistent thread of their life, even though they made mistakes and they sinned, the consistent thread of their life was turned towards Yahweh in desiring to serve and obey him. Hopefully the same can be said about us. Luke also brings us to a familiar Old Testament situation. Old people having children. A precedent that God set right when the nation of Israel was founded. If you're familiar with that story, we looked at that a few weeks ago when Dave talked about Noah and we we got to Abraham a little bit. Abraham and Sarah, they were the people, the couple that God chose to start his nation Israel and become his people. They, too, were well along in years, and Sarah was barren, and God brought them an impossible pregnancy, and that was the line that God used for his nation in the line of the Messiah. So Luke is trying to get the reader to recall something, recall a precedent that God has already set, that nothing is impossible for him. An old age and barrenness is not impossible for him. Let's keep reading. Verses eight through nine. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So at this time in Israel, Zechariah was one of eighteen thousand priests. That's a lot. And every year, fourteen of these priests was chosen by Lot, just you know, like a name out of a hat where they got to go into the temple and burn incense before the Lord on behalf of the people Israel. This would have been a huge, huge honor. So for this very mature follower of Yahweh, this would have been a career highlight. You think about that. 18,000 priests, only 14 per year, were chosen to do this. So he's in the temple burning incense before the Lord on behalf of the people, probably having a spiritual high And in the midst of this spiritual high, he receives a visit from an angel. God is going to speak. And this is is the next section, verses 13 through 17. It says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared the Lord. Wow. What a promise. So Gabriel is announcing an impossible pregnancy to Zechariah, and he is announcing not only that him and his barren wife will become pregnant, but this very child that they will bear will prepare the way for the Messiah. So many promises in those verses that we just read. It's really this this is the important part of this that we need to understand, and I think why Luke starts here. He's the only gospel writer that starts at this part of the story. Everyone else, John the Baptist, when he comes on the scene, he's a, he's a grown man, and we do see, in, we see that these promises were fulfilled. He did, in fact, prepare the way for the Messiah. But why it's important, because that is prophesied in the Old Testament. Specifically in uh, Isaiah 40 and Malachi 3, there is prophecy that one would come before the Messiah and, and tell the people Israel, help turn their hearts back to Yahweh so that they could see the Messiah for who he is. Malachi 4 prophesies that God will send the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And, and usually the day of the Lord in the Old Testament, when that's spoken, that means the end times. The day of the Lord is the final judgment, when he will return again. And, and many Jewish people, and still today this is true, they thought the Messiah and the end times would come at the same time. And so what Luke is showing us here, because Gabriel is prophesying that, that this baby will come in the spirit and power of Elijah that he's, he's showing that there's prophecy fulfilled here, that you don't need to wait for the physical Elijah to return, but this, this is the one at this point in history that fulfills that, is John the Baptist. If you've got any Jewish friends, um, a lot of Jews, Jews still today during their Passover meal, when they celebrate, they leave in a place setting empty, and that represents Elijah, that that is for Elijah, so he will return and they can usher in the Messiah. And so that, that's the difference there. That's why it's really important to see this fulfillment of prophecy, that we're not waiting for Elijah, for Jesus to come. That spirit and power of Elijah has come through John the Baptist, and it sounds like maybe there will be a different type of Elijah that will also come at the end times. So just a really, really important piece to see. We have to know why we believe what we believe, and a lot of that is based on fulfilled prophecy that God is faithful to his promise. Let's keep reading. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. That's verse 18. Seems like a really valid question. I think any one of us in this room, if we receive this message from an angel, we probably would ask a similar question. But Gabriel does not find this question to be valid. The angel answered in verse 19 through 20, the angel answered, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words which will come true at the proper time. So what seemed like a valid question to you and I, we have to remember that God's ways and thoughts are higher than ours. He can look directly into the human heart. And so as his plan of sending the Messiah is about to come to a culmination, he will not have doubting lips thwart that plan in any way, And so Zechariah now becomes mute. Until his son John the Baptist is born, he will not be able to speak. It seems that maybe Zechariah should have leaned into the precedent that had already been set at his nation's founding. Remember, he is a priest. He would have had direct access to the Holy Scripture. And so a better response could have been, as the Lord wills, If he can produce life in the barrenness of Sarah and Abraham, he can do it for me and Elizabeth. The great thing about God is that when he announces something because of his faithfulness and his character, he confirms it. And I bet every one of us in this room could attest to that as we step out in faith and we try to obey the Lord. He confirms those steps of faith in a million different ways. He could, he could do that through our emotions. He could do that through s- people speaking. He could do that through his word. We'd all have different stories. Sometimes his confirmation is discipline. And that is what we see with Zachariah. His, this prophecy that the angel, angel Gabriel gives, it is confirmed through discipline, but it's also confirmed through a pregnancy. Elizabeth, just a short while later, she does become pregnant. And God confirms what he spoke. Okay, then Luke yo-yos to another birth announcement. So we finished this story, and let's go to the next birth announcement. A few months later, Gabriel will have another birth announcement to give, this time to a young virgin peasant girl named Mary. Mary is just a young teenager. Because of her social status and gender, She will never reach the prestigious level like Zechariah the priest. She is not in the temple ministering to the Lord when Gabriel comes to her, nor does the text describe her as upright and blameless. So we've got kind of two opposite situations here, two opposite people. They happen to be distant relatives, but they're living very different lives And the circumstances around their announcement are very, very different. So here's what Gabriel says upon approaching Mary. Verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So Zechariah was described more by his posture towards Yahweh. Him and Elizabeth followed Yahweh and Yahweh's commands blamelessly. But here Mary is described by God's posture towards her, that she is favored. And I think this is, this is an interesting little rabbit trail to take here, that God's favor is always with us. That's his grace. I mean, that, that never leaves us. But there are seasons in our life where God's favor is just on us. And because he wills it, it is so. Maybe you've had a season or two or multiple like that where everything is just kind of clicking. Um, It seems like when Marcel and I have had a few of those seasons, it's like two or three things happen. Like things we've been believing for, doors open, uh, resources are provided, just kind of out of nowhere and unexplainable. And, And really the only way to explain is just God's favor. There are moments in our life we get a revelation of God his ways, and we obey them. You know, the sowing and reaping is very real, where we step out and it's like, oh, okay, God, I got a revelation. You know, maybe it's raising our kids, or maybe ha- stewarding our finances, and we obey that, and we can see, yeah, I've partnered with the Lord in my obedience. Now now there is fruit of that, But but that's a little bit different than what I'm talking about, where it's just like there's nothing that I can really say <laughs> Like, I didn't know base really well, or I didn't set this all up. It's just the Lord's favor. And that's the season Mary finds herself in. And it should humble us when we have those seasons, because there's nothing we can point to or brag about that we did. It's just the Lord. And so that's the season Mary finds herself in, is just one of extreme favor before God. Here's what the angel Gabriel says to her, verses 30 through 33. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. Same thing he said to Zechariah. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. So here Gabriel is giving another impossible pregnancy announcement. This time, there is no precedent for such an impossible pregnancy. So Mary is not able to recall and look back like, oh yeah, that other virgin that became pregnant in the Old Testament. This is... The only one in human history where a virgin will become pregnant. Listen to what Mary responds. Verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Again, another valid question. Just like Zacharias, she is wondering the same thing. How is this going to come to pass? This seems impossible. Gabriel finds this question to be valid because he answers her. Verses 35 through 37, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age? And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. So quite a different response. One might think, oh, she's going to become mute as well. (laughs) She's doubting. She's questioning. But not so. Gabriel gives her an answer, and he tells her how this is going to be accomplished. And so we, in God and all of his wisdom... You know, that's mysterious to us, but we don't have all of that wisdom. We cannot compare God's dealing with one individual and his dealing with another individual because he sees the human heart. He sees the motives and intentions behind our questions. And so where Zachariah receives discipline, Mary receives an answer. We can assume That maybe Zachariah asked his question in doubt, and Mary asked her question in faith. And so questioning is not wrong. It's just the posture of our heart towards God, to say, God, you can do anything. There's still faith to be had, even when we don't have a testimony to reflect on. And that's true for us today. You know, those testimonies where we see God's faithfulness, that does help build our faith as we go forward in this journey with Jesus. But even if we don't have those testimonies, yet we can still stand in faith before a holy and just and sovereign God. Listen to Mary's response. Verse 38, she said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. And Mary's announcement was also confirmed with her own pregnancy, and the text goes on to say that she visited Elizabeth upon hearing this news from the angel Gabriel, and was able to confirm that, in fact, Elizabeth was pregnant as well. So here we see two people receiving the biggest announcements of their lives, But from a macro level, they are receiving the biggest announcements of human history. So not only is this like a personal announcement to them, you think in all of human history, these two birth announcements. An announcement that God is going to fulfill his promise to redeem his people Israel and bring back all nations to himself through the person of Jesus. John the Baptist will pave the way for the promise, and Jesus will actually be the promise. I want you to think of various announcements that come to you personally throughout a lifetime. Here's some good ones. A graduation announcement, a proposal, a new baby, a job promotion, a retirement, an award, etc., etc., There's also some not-so-fun announcements that we face in life. A sudden illness, a death, a dead end, both literally and figuratively, the loss of a job, the loss of a friendship, you get the idea. We can all think, think of all different sorts of announcements that have come our way. Life can be full of announcements, but there is an announcement over your life that trumps all others. Like Mary, we also receive a birth announcement in the indwelling presence of Jesus when we pass from death to life and put our faith in him. If you've you've said yes to this announcement of Jesus over your life, all other announcements become subservient to that. Other announcements no longer become the announcement, but simply circumstances that we walk out with the living God by our side. Luke continues to yo-yo these two stories. And what's really cool is that because Zachariah remained mute until John the Baptist was born and that prophecy fulfilled, he didn't get to offer his sacrifice of praise until after the promise was fulfilled. So, so Luke shows these two stories, and he shows that Mary sings a song of praise, and then John the Baptist is born, and then Zechariah sings a song of praise. And, and Zechariah didn't get to do that until after the promise was formed. But Mary, which takes a really mature faith, got to sing her song of praise, to give her sacrifice of praise even before the promise was born. Isn't, isn't that where we all are at, at some point, usually most seasons of our life, in the waiting? We're waiting for something, even, even the ultimate waiting of just Jesus returning and making all things right. And that we could be like Mary. We could offer our sacrifice of praise in the waiting, and not just after the promise is fulfilled. We should offer sacrifices of praises after God has done something for sure, but can we do that when it's hard, when we're waiting for the promises to be fulfilled, when there's pain there in our hearts, when things aren't going well, and it looks, God, do you remember the promise that you gave me, that you gave to my family, that you gave about this situation? Can we praise in the waiting? And I'm going to read over you guys, and you can follow along on the screen, Mary's Song of Praise. It's verses 46 through 55, and it's, it's just beautiful. She says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Blessed. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. So here we see Mary offering this beautiful song of praise. And to close today, I would love to play a song that's been my go to these last few years that stirs my heart in this same way of remembering God's faithfulness that he has been so kind to me. He's been so kind to us. And I'd love to play this song. The lyrics will be on the screen. You can close your eyes. Maybe you know this song. You can just close your eyes and take it in. And, And I pray that we would just, we would agree with these lyrics and offer this song of praise in our heart as just a sacrifice to say, Thank you, God. Thank you for fulfilling your promises that have been and are yet to come. So, yeah, go ahead and we'll listen together. Go, yeah, go ahead.
0: heart could tell a story If my life would sing a song If I have a testimony If I have anything at all No one there For me like Jesus His faithful hand has held me out this way And when I'm old and gray And all my days are numbered on the earth Let it be known In you alone My joy was found My children tell their children, Let this be their memory, That all my treasure was in heaven, And you were everything to me. No one ever cared for me like Jesus His faithful hand has held me all this way And when I'm old and gray and all my days are numbered on the earth Let it be known in you alone my joy was found I found my joy Still His faithful hand has held me all this way And when I'm old and gray And all my days are numbered on the earth Let it be known In you alone My joy was found Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.